Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So I'm going to try a little experiment this morning. I'm going to start with a song uh, that some of you may know, and if you uh, if you don't know it, uh, you can still try to catch on, and it's a little repetitive ditty, and we'll see if we can do it. Okay? Here's how it goes. When you catch on, please sing with me. All right. well done. Okay, so that's actually a theme song. Does anyone recognize what that's from? No? Nobody knows that song? <laughs> it's, it's from a cartoon. It was on Nickelodeon. Oh, somebody said it. Doug. It's from the cartoon Doug. It was a show that ran on Nickelodeon in the 90s. It was actually created by Jim Jenkins, who is... From where do you think Jim Jenkins is from? <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. That's right. So a lot of the references on the show actually, um, like the mall that they go to and the middle school that they go to, are named after places in Richmond. He put that in there. But anyway, here's a picture of the titular character Doug Funny and his dog. Uh, should I say his name? It's Pork Chop. I'm sorry to say. That's his name in a synagogue. That's that's what we have here. But he's he's just a dog. And uh, take a good look at him. All right? Because I want you to notice, is there something about him that would be atypical of a, of a middle schooler? Anything you notice? Well, he's in middle school. And as many, uh, many of us can attest to, middle schoolers have a lot of insecurities, as I'm sure some of us have some insecurities left over from middle school. And here's a description of the character from the Doug uh, fandom wiki. Quote, Doug is an average kid who often comes off as shy and insecure, but is a good person at heart who always tries to do the right thing, despite his frequent failures. He's naive and gullible at times and fears that people will think of him as a loser. He is quite nice. He's a talented artist with a vivid imagination allowing him to create his own superhero character, Quail Man, whose adventures are usually based on exaggerated and impossible interpretations of real-life predicaments that Doug finds himself in. He sometimes lets his fear and insecurities get the best of him, which causes him to dream up horrifying and, and uh, worst-case scenarios to certain dilemmas. These insecurities are often exploited by Roger Klotz, who's the, the bully in the show, and used to tor torment him. He's a uh, very sensitive and often cries, unquote. Now, I think I'm finally ready to share the title of today's sermon. It's called The Bald and the Beautiful. 
now you perhaps see what, what you just took away the picture. <laughs> now perhaps you see why I brought up Doug Funny. I think there's like eight total hairs up there. And there's actually an episode uh, about this. It's called Doug's Hairy Situation, where he becomes insecure about his wispy and scarce hair follicles. I'm sure some of you, some of us, can relate. Okay. And uh, what happens to Doug is he doesn't want to go to the water park because he thinks that the girl he likes would never want to be with a balding kid like him. He tries all kinds of things and finally ends up walking by a barbershop with some uh, balding men to give him some advice. Here are the men. Okay. And uh, so he reveals his growing insecurity over his hair loss. And Joe, the barber, chuckles and says, he has lots of products. I have lots of things that can help fight baldness. Really, asked Doug? No, none of them work. And, and the two friends add, never have, never will. <laughs> like that. And Doug asks what does work, and they tell him, well, you can't eat Mother Nature, or perhaps uh, a nice hat would, would work. Um, and they say, but Doug, if you're worried that people won't like you because you lost some hair, hey, that's their loss. Because you're still the same person, only handsomer. So yeah, so they're trying to encourage him, but he's still not convinced. So he goes to uh, see an action movie. He's avoiding his friends at the water park still. He's still insecure. So the movie is called Q-Ball, and uh, there's an action hero, and he uses his bald head to save the day. For example, here he is reflecting light into off his head to distract an opponent in a fight. And uh, here's our hero using his bald head uh, for another unique ability, he's water skiing, right? It just shows us that our insecurities can actually be what? Our strengths, right? So eventually Doug gets this message and he goes to the water park with his friends and uh, becomes more accepting of his hair situation. Uh, now, before we get any further as to why I'm bringing this up, I wanna ask you uh, another question. Uh, how many of you have a verse of scripture that you consider your life first? Right, you always go back to it. Well, uh, in this week's Parsha, I'd like to share uh, one of my life verses with you. I've always found it to be very encouraging. It's the central idea for this morning's sermon. So let's take a look at it as well as the surrounding context. Here it is, it's very encouraging. If a man's hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. Thank God for the term. This verse has been so encouraging to me over the years, or over the recent years, not in my, my teenage years, it wasn't as encouraging. Uh, and I'm sure for many of you follow challenged friends as well. Okay, so it's not really my life verse, okay? But it is uplifting and it is encouraging. And uh, I, I think uh, there's some interesting things here. Actually, one time, uh, Eric and I were up here and Clarine was doing the Torah reading and uh, she actually read this verse from, from the Parsha, and Eric and I turned to each other, gave each other a big high five in the middle of the Torah service, and we went, all right, like that. But I think, you know, I think we're more mature now. I don't think we would do that. So you shouldn't do that during the Torah reading. It's, you know, sacred time. Anyway, um, so let's keep reading for context. Let's see what the Torah is talking about. Uh, or if the borders of his face become bald, his forehead is bald, he is clean. But if on the bald head or bald forehead there is a reddish white plague, it is sa'arat breaking out on his bald head or bald forehead. Now, sa'arat is sometimes translated 
uh, leprosy, but it's it's just a kind of a skin disease um, that it's talking about in, in Leviticus. Then the Kohen, the priest, is to examine him, and behold, if the rising of the plague is reddish white on his bald head or bald forehead, like the appearance of sa'arat in the skin of the flesh, he is a man with sa'arat, with a skin condition. He is unclean. The Kohen shall definitely pronounce him unclean. The plague mark is on his head. So why does the Torah bother to say if a man is bald, you know, if you're losing your hair, it doesn't make you unclean? Why is this an encouragement in the Torah? Well, I think it's because we tend to mix our insecurities with our uncleanness. You know, everybody has weaknesses. Everyone has flaws or things that make us insecure or fearful about who we are. And uh, the Torah is saying that this is not the same as being unclean. And moreover, even if an Israelite was unclean because of a skin disease or, or whatever the case may be, there's still an entire system that's built into the Torah for cleansing and for healing and working with the priesthood, the established priesthood, to bring holiness and wholeness and shalom. So this verse from this week's Parsha got me thinking and wondering, as I'm sure many of you have, what else does the Bible have to say about baldness? This very important topic. How about this scene from the prophet Elisha, who was the protege of the famous prophet Elijah? From there, he, that is Elisha, went up to Bethel. As he was going up along the road, some young boys came out of the city. They mocked him, saying to him, go on up, Baldy, go on up, Baldy. <laughs> I mean, that's how I imagine he sounded. So he turned around and looked at them and cursed them in the name of Adonai. Then two she-bears came out of the woods and all 42 of the boys. So this is what could happen if you make fun of a bald prophet, I suppose, right? Um, but maybe there's something more going on here. Bethel, the place where they were, was actually a snare to Israel, and it was a site of common idolatry, idol worship. So the boys were not just disrespecting Elisha, they were disrespecting the God of Elisha, right, the God of Israel, and saying, oh, go on up, Baldi, but also go on up and worship those other, those other gods, right? Notice also that Elisha, he doesn't retaliate directly against the teasing and the taunting about his appearance and about even about the idolatry, but he rather he allows the Lord to bring justice from these from these bears. So our first instinct often is when someone touches on our insecurities is what what do we want to do? Want to react, right? And fight back. But Elisha shows us, you know, there's another way. We rely on uh, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. So we rely on his, his justice to bring about, um, you know, possible bears or whatever the Lord wants to do. <laughs> now, moving on with our baldness references, have you ever wondered what the Apostle Paul looked like? Well, there isn't a description in the Bible, but there's an apocryphal work uh, uh, from around the year 160. Uh, it's called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. It was not included as the, in the New Testament as inspired scripture, but is considered a historic document, like a lot of Second Temple literature, you know, around that time, um, like the Book of Maccabees. We, we rely on that for to, to understand this, the story of Hanukkah, even though it's not scripture per se. So anyway, this is uh, there's a description of Paul in this in this work, and this is what it says. A small man of stature 
a man of small stature with a bald head. All right. And crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting. He had a unibrow, apparently, and a nose somewhat hooked, hooked, full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. Isn't that nice? I have created a composite image of these most of these characteristics. Here's what I think Paul would have looked like. If we can imagine. I'm telling you, Jerry, greatest of these as well. I'm telling you. All right, I don't, I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, some scholars think that Paul's appearance affected his ministry and his writings. Um, and you could certainly see that. If, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, Shaul describes a, kind of a painful experience. So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment, so I would not exalt myself. I pleaded with the Lord three times about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. For Messiah's sake, then, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and distress in persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. My real life verse is actually in this passage. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Amazing. It's amazing how Shaul describes our weaknesses and insecurities as ultimate strengths, right? Remember cue ball, you know, using his, his bald head, right? But that's, that's how it works in the Bible as well. That's how it works in our lives. Now, what was this thorn about exactly? Because Paul doesn't exactly say. Here's an excerpt from a Christianity Today article uh, summarizing the various views on what the thorn could be. Uh, quote, Paul believed the purpose of the thorn was, one, to keep him from becoming conceited, and two, to torment him. Uh, whatever the thorn was, it humbled him persistently. Scholars have diagnosed a full chart of physical diseases, psychological problems, and spiritual struggles, hysteria, migraines, epilepsy, and obnoxious Christians, you know, messianic believers, to name a few. A few of the Middle Ages, a view from the Middle Ages said Paul couldn't get sex off of his mind, but that doesn't fit with his words in 1 Corinthians. I wish that all men were as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Some scholars today suggest that Paul's thorn was his audience, the troublesome uh, Corinthian congregation itself. In a word study of Paul's statement, scholars point out that every time the New Testament uses angel, messenger, torment, and take it away, the, the words refer to people. Uh, thorn doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament, but a version of it appears in the Greek translation of Numbers 3355, uh, which describes what the Canaanites are to the Jews, uh, the thorns in your sides. Many scholars today take Paul's reference to the uh, flesh literally. They see the thorn as a physical problem. Some of them point out that Paul used the same Greek word when writing about the unspecified illness that kept him in Galatia. They spe speculate that in both cases, Paul was talking about an eye disease. Bad enough, perhaps, to make him today legally blind. For after mentioning the illness, Paul added, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And at the end of the letter, uh, Paul took the work from his scribe and added a personal postscript, 
see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So maybe that was what was going on. Malaria is another possibility suggested in the 1800s by archaeologist William Ramsey. What happened, Ramsey guessed, is that Paul caught malaria while traveling through the coastal plains of Western Turkey during his first missionary journey. The, this coast marsh is bred malaria-carrying mosquitoes. The tendency for malaria to recur with alternating bouts of sweating and shivering seems to fit well with Paul's choice of the word torment, which refers to something that continually or often battered him. Given the growing, growing list of theories about Paul's thorn in the flesh, one thing we can be sure about is that we can't be sure about any unquote. So it could have been baldness, right? But more likely it was some kind of physical defect or something that was going on that uh, we know that it was, it was trying to get Paul down, right? It was trying to make him feel disqualified. And uh, we can imagine, I'm sure a lot of us have a, a thorn of sorts that we can relate to what he's saying. And, uh, and then we can take uh, encouragement from this, that when he said uh, that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in our weakness. And uh, this is very similar to those who had the skin disease, uh, how they must have felt in, in Leviticus, that we're, we're, you just read the passage. I focus most, mostly on the ball part, right? <laughs> but uh, it does mention sara'at, sa'arat, right? Sa'arat, <laughs> which is uh, uh, sometimes translated leprosy, um, but that's what renders Israelites unclean. And so what would they have to do? They would have to isolate, and they would be longing, they would be like a thorn in their flesh, longing for that healing and that wholeness and that holiness, right? I mentioned this uh, Talmudic passage before, but there is a, a description of the Messiah in the Talmud, um, and this is what it says. His name is the leper scholar. As it is written, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him a leper, smitten of God and afflicted. When will the Messiah come? Go and ask him. Go and ask him himself, was his reply. Where is he sitting? At the entrance. And by what sign may I recognize him? He is sitting among the poor lepers. That's from Sanhedrin 98a and b. This passage from Jewish tradition is an expansion of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage, which is the best description of Yeshua in the entire Hebrew Bible. It shows how, in the Jewish tradition, the Messiah would have identified with the lepers, those that were hurting, those with skin diseases, and suffer with his people, carry our diseases and carry our sorrows and identify with us which is exactly, exactly what Yeshua did. Also from Isaiah 53, there's a description of the appearance of the Messiah surrounding the verses that the Talmud is explaining. Here's the full section from Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 4. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nor beauty that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. One from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God, and afflicted. Sometimes when Yeshua is depicted in, in movies or, or in art, 
he's depicted as attractive. Now, you know, I'm not saying he looked like George Costanza, like Paul did, <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is this. Um, it was not Yeshua's appearance that drew people. It wasn't his attractiveness, right, on the physical level, but it was his love. That's what drew people, because rather he had his, he identified with those who were lepers, right? He didn't make himself to be attractive, right? But he was attractive on the inside because of his love, because of his compassion, because of the way he identified with us in our pains and in our thorns. Moreover, his afflictions and things that folks look down upon, for example, he ate with sinners and so he was despised, right? That was exactly what made him effective in ministry. And so it is with us, right? A lot of times the things that people look down on us for, those happen to be the things that enable us to, to do what we're doing because we walk in humility, we walk in the strength of the Lord. So too with our insecurities and our shortcomings, our physical defects and our character defects, these do not disqualify us. They actually ironically qualify us. Remember the description of Paul? He had a lot wrong with him physically. Um, and he had some sort of thorn in his flesh. But what was the description of his face? What did it say about him? It shone like an angel. His face shone like an angel. And that wasn't because he was, you know, some kind of model, right? That was because of the love of God, the compassion of God. Even Doug Funny, right? What was he? He was hyper-focused on his outward appearance. And I think we can be too sometimes. But the descriptions of Yeshua and descriptions of Paul show it's not the outward appearance which caused their faces to shine with compassion. So it is with us. I'm going to close with our, our final Aldness verse. This is from Luke 12, verses 6 through 7. Our five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. <laughs> so do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, you may say that it is easier for God to count, you know, my hairs than yours because of my balding head. But I say this to you, the passage shows the immense love and care that God has for all of us, no matter how many hairs we may have. Plus, with me, I'll say what my dad always said uh, when he paid the same amount for a haircut as with someone with lots of hair. He said, what you're doing is you're paying for precision work. With less hair, you know, every snip matters even more. That's why he's paying the same price. And so it is with God. He's doing precision work. He's caring about every hair on your head, uh, every hair on my head. Even. This verse shows us that God knows us. He knows us intimately, including not only how many hairs we have, but the things we don't even know, right? We don't know how many hairs we have. So that means God knows you in an intimate way. He knows your weaknesses, and he loves you anyway, and he loves you in those weaknesses. And he loves you uh, not only despite our weaknesses, but in our weakness, right? In our weakness, because that creates humility, which enables us to walk in our calling. So I hope that you can see that this sermon is not just about boldness, right? But what is it about? It's about how our insecurities, our afflictions, and our weaknesses 
present themselves. But rather than isolation and shame, these can move us toward compassion and humility as we look also toward the leper scum, right? Yeshua the Messiah as our ultimate example who identified with us in our weakness so that in Messiah, in him, we can be strong and we can be humble and we can be compassionate and our faces can shine like his do. Amen. All right. Avinu, our father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. And uh, thank you uh, <laughs> that uh, you uh, created many perfect heads and the rest you covered with hair. And uh, <laughs> that you uh, you care for us so compassionately and so, uh, so well. And uh, you have enabled us to not be ashamed of our, or insecure about the things, uh, our weaknesses, Lord, but you work in and through them. And uh, that you um, didn't call us because we were noble and you didn't call us because we were uh, especially wise or of a high birth or, or especially um, amazing in and of ourselves, but you called us to show your strength, to show your love, uh, to show that we, when we do things, it's, it's not because of our strength. So help us really to rely on you um, to do the things that we can, because there's really nothing we can do apart from you, but in you, we can do all things that you've called us to do. Help us to be strong in our weaknesses, Lord, and to trust you. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.